So something that will be available to media producers in the future is creating multiple versions of content that will be streamed specifically to audiences based on their demographic. Now, what I mean by that would be, Jeff, if you like Coca-Cola, a Coca-Cola version of that scene would be streamed to you in the movie. So suddenly Brad Pitt wouldn't be drinking a Pepsi. I would see the Pepsi because I like Pepsi. That was audio, video, and media services expert Brian Brodeur speaking about one of the changes we're likely to see in the way we view media content, in this case movies, in the near future. The transformation of media production and distribution, the opportunities that will create, and what lies ahead in that space will again be our focus on this episode of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hello, Looking Forward listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Today on Looking Forward, we're going to focus on media production and distribution, be that TV, radio, film, the internet, or other media formats. In part one of this two-part series, episode number 85, we looked at how media production and distribution have changed over the past few decades. We also learned who's now on the driver's seat when it comes to media production and distribution, and we began to explore what role COVID-19 has played in all this. In part two of this two-part series, episode number 86, we'll take a further look at COVID's impact. We'll learn about what the future of media production and distribution might look like, and we'll hear about some of the opportunities that may create for you, our Looking Forward listeners. Finally, we'll get some excellent guidance on how we can become better media consumers. To help us with all this, we've again brought on an outstanding guest expert. He's Brian Brodeur. Brian Brodeur is the founder and president of East Main Media, a full-service audio-video media services firm and studio facility located in Little Falls, New Jersey. Brian's life and career has been spent at the crossroads of entertainment and technology. Entering Berklee College of Music in 1987, Brian studied music technology, and upon leaving Berklee in 1991, he began his professional career in the recording studio. In 1997, he moved to New York City and joined the staff at Digiram, eventually establishing one of New York City's first DVD studios. In 2001, Brian founded ACIEM LLC, established the New York DVD and ACIEM Studios brands, and has since produced several best-selling DVD titles featuring some of the world's top musicians. Frank Zappa, Fish, Rod Stewart, Buddy Rich, Phil Collins, and dozens more. Spoiler alert! If you have any upcoming or current college students in your family, they may want to tune in too. Let's have you touch a little bit again on such an important topic, Brian, which is COVID-19, which okay. continues to be a big part of people's lives around the globe. 
It's affected so many people in so many different ways, some much more tragically than others. How do you think COVID-19 has affected the media world beyond what you've already talked about? And maybe you can give us a few examples of how you see it affecting either the consumer of media, the producer of media, where you're coming from, anybody else, the distributor of media? Sure. Well, there's some very practical ways that COVID-19 has had you know, a huge impact on the media industry. One of them we see every day, and I think this is applicable globally, not just in the United States, but speaking for myself as a consumer of news, if I sit at my dinner table with my family at night and I flip on the cable news, whether that's something like CNN or MSNBC or other channels, a major change that has happened is they have far fewer people physically in the studio. And this is a COVID thing. This happened because of COVID. It forced TV producers to find ways to report remotely. And that is just like what you and I are doing now on Zoom. And we've all seen good versions of this and poor versions of this. We've seen the funny, you know, uh, reporter at home with the the toddler wander into the back yeah. of the screen. Yeah. You know, this is the realities of it. Yeah. But, you know, you and I are speaking right now and I'm, you're seeing me on a high def TV camera. It's, you know, 1080 high definition. And I have a broadcast microphone through a professional system. And this is all in real time over the internet. And this is really what has happened. This is one thing that COVID-19 has done to the media. It's allowed this, it's forced it to happen. So it's very rare that cable shows will have guests in studio. Let's look at some of the other platforms or media. You know, let's take a look at the film industry. The film industry for several years before COVID-19 happened was headed towards streaming. The big screen was becoming the big screen in the living room and audiences in theaters were diminishing. One of the pieces of this, you know, people would complain like, oh, movies, it's all Marvel and comic books and all this. Well, is that? That's because people, those are the kind of movies that people want to see in the theater for the big spectacle and for the CGI and the surround sound. And that's the audience. That's the place where that particular audience wants to see that particular content. And so that has been a theme and that has been emerging. Now, COVID comes along, forces everyone to be home literally across the world in lockdowns in various ways. And so the outcome of that is consumers start streaming more. And so you can connect that experience directly to projects like Squid Game, which is a Korean produced serial show. You know, it's, I won't call it a TV show. It's sort of like a multi-episode movie and it's produced in Korea. It is in Korean and it's dubbed in English. So you can hear it in the United States and other places in English and other language, wherever you are, plus with subtitles. And that's all streamed through a service. In this case, I believe Netflix. So there's a direct line to the success of Squid Game from the beginnings of the, the deconstruction of the film business and COVID just pushes it over the cliff. And so again, we're not unringing that bell. That is only going to continue. Now, I'll add on a little personal angle to this. I have a background in music and, and something that I'm passionate about is, is music for picture. 
A simple example of this would be the music to the movie Jaws, you know, dun, 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 dun. The scoring of music. There's sort of a joke about if you're aware of the score, the score is not doing its job. It's it, The score should be emotional and you should be paying attention to the to the screen and what's going on. Well, something that's happening in this streaming world, you know, that is emerging out of COVID and the pre-COVID world, there's so much money on these platforms, Apple, Netflix, Amazon, so much money being poured into these platforms because again, it's a global audience. You could get this anywhere. If you have uh, the subscription to the streaming service, you're not stuck going physically to a movie theater. And so this becomes more easily a global product on a distribution timetable that is basically instantaneous. I want my movie out there, boom, it's out. Now scoring, there's been a lot of bad scoring. You know, there's been a lot of score. And why is this? Because there's so much work to do and it's hard to score a film. And now you've got something like Squid Game, which is what, 10 episodes or whatever it was, and they're movie length, and you have to score music for all this. This is a really interesting problem. We have the capabilities now of global, instantaneous, multi-language distribution. But guess what? Now we got to produce it. Now these challenges happen that we have to produce that amount and that complex of content. And it's a really interesting thing of where this is going. I actually think some of these movie length, multi-episode projects are getting too long. You don't need these to be seven hours to tell the story you're telling. So I wonder if it's going to pair back. I wonder if some of the storytelling is going to get more concise because that's certainly happening on social media. In my business, one of the things I do on a daily basis is help executives and professionals communicate their message. And I see the need and demand from the audience shortening. And these things are becoming shorter and you create multiple messages. This is an echo to what I said earlier about the multiple audiences, right? So it's multiple messages for multiple audiences that becomes shorter, but the opposite is happening on streaming. So now we have these longer storytelling episodic films. These things are progressing. These things are moving forward and we'll see where it evolves. It's only going to grow and reach more people globally in multiple languages. And I have some ideas of how that may change, but I'll stop right there. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the future because looking forward is in part called looking forward because we're looking to the future. And you started here just now and even earlier to talk a little bit about what the world of tomorrow might look like. So let's have you zoom in on that a little bit further. What trends or changes might you predict, realizing that nobody even knew COVID was going to come around, right? Over the next several years, say in the 20s, in media content distribution, in the audiences themselves, What are you seeing in the near future, Brian? Well, barring any catastrophic disruption. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, God forbid, COVID mutated and got much more deadly. So let's just stick with that we have a growing global audience with more and increasing access to content. Let's just start there. Again, I always like to look at it from both sides of the camera. You know, there's the producer making things then there's the consumer consuming things. 
So an example I like to use is uh, we're all used to advertising, right? People have things to sell and you got to advertise to sell it and you want to advertise to an audience or audiences. So let's play a little game. Myself, I love a good horror movie. I like zombie movies. They're great. <laughs> so uh, a recent film, uh, World War Z, the Max Brooks book that was optioned by Brad Pitt and his company. They made the movie World War Z. And there's a scene in there that in the last reel of the film, as they say in the business, Brad Pitt's going to go down to the barricaded lab and get the antidote and solve the whole zombie crisis. And he stops and he opens up you know, a drink machine. He gets a soda pop, right? He gets a soda and he kind of drinks it. Now, I'm not accusing Brad Pitt of product placement. Well, let's just pretend it is, right? Let's pretend that's a Pepsi. So something that will be available to media producers in the future is creating multiple versions of content that will be streamed specifically to audiences based on their demographic. Now, what I mean by that would be, Jeff, if you like Coca-Cola, a Coca-Cola version of that scene would be streamed to you in the movie. So suddenly Brad Pitt wouldn't be drinking a Pepsi. I would see the Pepsi because I like Pepsi, <laughs> but you would see the Coca-Cola version, but neither one of us would really know that that's happening, that the customized version of that is sent to you. Now, just take a step back because right now we sort of experience that you go onto a browser, you look up hiking boots, suddenly you're on your phone and you get a pop-up for hiking boots. Okay. Yeah. That's happening now. But what I'm talking about is customized. The word I use is bespoke, right? It's bespoke content based on your demographic. And let me just twist that one more way because I use the example that you like Coca-Cola. Well, guess what? Arby's root beer might want to show root beer to you because you like Coca-Cola and they want to switch you from Coke to root beer. So that marketplace of bespoke custom advertising is going to happen. It's already happening in a lot of ways, but that's going to come. And this will happen not only on a domestic US level, but it'll happen globally. And if you use my sports analogies, you're already getting virtual ads on the soccer fields. Well, those ads and even frankly, probably jerseys and logos will change. So in the United States, you might have Oh, I don't know, you know, McDonald's sponsoring Manchester United, but in Europe, it's Vodafone. Wow. This is going to happen. And the interesting thing is we're not even going to know. You're going to see the Coca-Cola World War Z movie and you won't even know. You can take this further and further. Movies will happen in places and they'll happen. One version will be happening in New York City, but the other version of the movie happens in London. Wow. This is where we're headed. I'm going to plant a question for you. Well, what's the change, right? It's technology, right? It's technology. Technology will allow these changes. I mean, look what's happening in the United States with the uh, infrastructure plan. You know, they're putting broadband across the, you know, the United States, elevating that. Well, the wireless companies want it to be all 5G and that's just going to explode the amount of quality content that is happening now. It's going to explode it. Now, I could continue because these changes, there, there will be geopolitical changes. There will be the, uh, the real fake videos that start happening. So I'll break here and see if you want to follow up. I was going to say that that is fascinating to me. And the other thing that I've heard several of my guests talk about, and you would too if we had more time, 
is you've got the technology. But the other thing, when you start talking about demographics and sending the Coke commercial to this person and the Pepsi one to this person, we're also talking about better quality data analytics, understanding better who the consumers are so that you can target your message to those different consumers. And we've had this. It's just getting better and better and better. Brian, now we're going to move into the other aspect of looking forward. We call it looking forward because it's optimistic. We're looking forward to something. You've talked about a lot here in terms of the evolution of media, distribution of it, the content, the audience or audiences. Where do you see opportunities over the next several years, whether we're talking about opportunities for somebody who's, say, getting ready to go into college? Do you have a son who might fit that description? Or somebody who's getting out of college, somebody's unhappy with their job, they want to change careers, or somebody just wants to find a new job, maybe an investor, or somebody like you who's looking to start a business. Maybe they're entrepreneurial. Where do you see some opportunities in the field that you're involved with? Sure. Well, look at the theme of what we've talked about today, media technology and the changes that have happened over these uh, past couple decades. Well, again, There are things that change and things that don't. Something like DVD is a format that it was the fastest growing consumer electronics format ever, right? Mm. Boom, it exploded. Everybody replaced their VHSs. And now, you know, they're coasters. Nobody cares. (laughs) Things change, but there are things that stay the same. And part of that is storytelling. And the formats and the methods and the, the how, you know, may change, but the why and the what, these things don't change. And so, you know, this is why you put on a great movie from the forties or something, you know, you put on a Humphrey Bogart movie like I did the other night and it's great. Same thing of why a good song is a good song. The advice I would give looking forward for young people coming up that want to make their way maybe in the media industry like I did is no why you are creating what you're creating and know what the purpose of it is. If it's advertising, what audience are you speaking to? What's the subtext if there's any, you know, how are you resonating that message? All the different ways that you can create content. And here's the beautiful thing. The technology gap is just disappearing. I can use a specific example from my business, which is we were filming the other day for uh an automotive piece of content. And we're interviewing some people, beautiful 4K Sony cameras interviewing, and it's lovely. And I've got to pick up some extra content, which normally I would use a camera or something else. I just grabbed my new iPhone, filmed it. It was steady and it looked gorgeous. And I probably wouldn't have done that prior to my new iPhone, but now it's only going to get better this technology, the mobile technology, it's not suddenly going to be horrible. It's only going to get better. What this does is it puts the physical tools and the methods of production into the hands of everybody, right? Democratizes it. But the outcome of this is that the gatekeepers disappear. And what I mean by this is businesses in particular may not need to go to the big ad agency. Yeah, there'll still be talent and great ideas there, but there will be ways to communicate and create across the globe. 
and in everybody's hands. It already is that way. It's only going to continue. So again, to a young person anywhere, you know, overseas or in the US, the idea is the tools are fine. The software, the physical tools, the way you make things. Okay, that's great. But the creativity and the why, that's what you want to focus on because great ideas are rare, right? A lot of people have ideas, they're free, but the really good ones you have to execute on, but the idea comes here. It doesn't come from here. Right. It comes through here. And so that's an important advice I would give any young person that wants to get involved in media. So what you're saying in essence is that there will always be opportunities for content creators. Good ones and bad ones. <laughs> good, good, <laughs> yeah. good ones and bad ones. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of opportunities looking forward with technology and, and all of these media platforms, I think it's important that I mention niche markets or niche markets, right? Yes. Where because we have the ability to reach a variety of people, both across the globe, but of interests, you can now create content that is specifically for people of niche interest. So that could, again, be geographic or could be, you know, people who are interested in purple yarn knitting, you know, it could, <laughs> the point is this, and I guess this is advice for young people that are coming up in the business. We now have the ability to communicate only or specifically targeted to these audiences. And that's a very modern and new thing and will only continue to grow. Yes. Very, very good point. One last thing I want to ask you about, Brian, before we get to asking you how people can get a hold of you, and that is this. We like to take our experts and ask them if they can give our listeners some good advice based on their expertise. Mm. How do you think we can become better consumers of media? What tips would you give us in this rapidly changing media environment? Wow. It's such a great question. Thank you. This goes back to what I said earlier about coming from the 20th century to the 21st. One of the vestigial pieces of media that came from the late 20th century is trusting content, whether it's back to Walter Cronkite on the news or whether it's, you know, reading Le Monde in Paris and you trust what they said, right? Unfortunately, that has been eroded in a lot of ways. It's hard to know who to trust. You mentioned data analytics, and I was speaking about bespoke targeted content. Well, that has created these silos. So now in the United States, if somebody's leaning towards the right, they might go and watch Fox News. If someone leans towards the left, they might watch MSNBC. And if you're on Facebook, Facebook is throwing at you content that you agree with based on your analytics and your data. So we live in these siloed worlds as media consumers. And unfortunately, this gives us a skewed look at information. Now I might say, well, I really agree with those folks on that TV station and I vote this way or I vote that way. But there is, or there are other perspectives, even if you don't agree with them, there are other perspectives to news. Now I'm speaking specifically about news because I think this is the important one. It's a matter of trust. That's how you have to look at consuming. 
Now, it's one thing if I'm listening to a song and I like the song and it's enjoyable, that's fine. Hey, you like this painting, I like that painting, whatever. I the beholder. But for information and news and things that matter to our day-to-day lives, my advice is to be, I don't want to say cynical, but be skeptical, right? Try to understand who is communicating to you. Is it really who you think it is? Why are they telling you this? Now, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories. It's not what I'm talking about. But if I'm seeing a story on Facebook is a great example because of the previous elections we've had and data analytics and companies like Cambridge Analytica have shown very specific manipulative content to specific demographics of people in order to influence their democratic vote. And this is going to continue to happen across the globe. It's even going to happen where there will be real fakes. This will happen guaranteed. There will be video of a leader or an influential person saying or doing something that they really did not say or do. Mm. This is going to happen. And so we need to be able to, let me say it this way. If we can't trust what we're seeing and hearing and consuming, we have to know that. And we have to find sources that we can trust or find ways that we can verify and understand. It all really comes down to education and being informed, you know, and being broad-minded about what we're consuming. I mean, I love the analogy of like travel broadens the mind. Anyone who's traveled knows you go somewhere, whether it's a different state in the United States or you go to a different country or continent, it changes how you see things. We have to understand that broader outlook because now we are experiencing the world through these screens and we have to know that. And so we have to be able to judge the content. So look, I know I'm talking to you and you're listening to me and this is great, but if it's a news show or if it's uh, a Twitter feed of breaking news, this happened or you know, so-and-so got into a car crash, we have to understand this stuff and just know, basically not go down the road with blinders. Good points. It's kind of the double-edged sword of democratization of dissemination of information, right? Anybody can yeah. disseminate it now. It's the really the challenge we have in the coming decades. It really is that everybody can reach anyone and say anything, and there's a positive and negative to that. Absolutely. Same thing we could say about the internet itself. It's a wonderful tool, yeah. but if used incorrectly... How can our listeners find out more about you, Brian, about East Main Media? You also have a podcast or anything do, else that yeah. you want people to know about. Well, East Main Media, East, like the direction, Main, not like the state, like Main Street, Media, <laughs> EastMainMedia.com. I'm on uh, both personally and as the company on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Haven't really been on TikTok because I'm old. And uh, <laughs> I do have a podcast, the East Main Podcast. I love to speak to people that uh, I'm curious about. And I hope that you will join me. And uh, I really enjoy doing that. It's almost in a way a hobby. You know, I don't want to make money from it. I just love talking to interesting people and learning about what they do. And I love that about podcasting. 
you know, I'm around, I'm not going anywhere for the moment. And I'm happy to have people reach out and say hi and follow me. And you can see some of my grilling pictures from my backyard periodically. And, <laughs> you know, who knows? Brian, it's been wonderful having you on. Thank you so much for sharing this great information with our audience based on 30 years of experience. And we wish you nothing but the best of continued success. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a blast speaking with you. And uh, hopefully we will speak again soon. I sure hope so. Thanks a lot. This concludes part two of our two-part series on the transformation of media production and distribution with our guest expert, Brian Brodeur. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Brian or me, please contact me at my website, www.jeff-ostroff.com. And if you like this episode, I'd really appreciate your liking it or giving it a positive review on the podcast hosting site where you listen to it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.